And now I invite you to pray with me and to pray for me. Lord God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts this morning and speak to them. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence and we invite you to bring conviction to our hearts through the living word that you will initiate healing and transformation in our lives. We pray this all in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. This morning is the third Sunday of Advent, and we lit the candle of joy. This is the Sunday where we're reminded to share in the angels' proclamation to the shepherds. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And that culminated with the shout, glory to God in the highest. This is not a little joy. This is great joy. Now, why was this joy such a great joy? It was because the Messiah, the long-anticipated Messiah, his birth was announced. He had arrived. The prophets declared God's promise that the Messiah would come and he would rescue and deliver his people. So we say together, glory to God in the highest. Okay, you're catching on. Increasing the magnitude of the joy. The angel Gabriel told Mary that her child was to be the son of the Most High, which meant God the Son, the second member of the Trinity taking on flesh in the Incarnation. This fulfilled the prophecy, Emmanuel, God with us, and we proclaim, glory to God in the highest. God declared to Mary, and then she declared to her husband Joseph. In a dream, Joseph heard from an angel that the child was to be named Jesus, and that he would save his people from their sins. Glory to God in the highest. Remember, this is great joy. You can add a little joy as you say that. The Magi from the east, they followed the star, they talked to Herod, and then when they went back out, they saw the star again. And scriptures record in Matthew, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The joy of the Messiah impacting the nations, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. Glory to God in the highest. This is good news of great joy. And yet, the Messiah was born and things didn't get better in Jerusalem. In the ensuing weeks, in the ensuing years, suffering and despair continued on the earth, and death continued to reign. Jesus was born, and then Joseph had another dream. The angel told Joseph, take Jesus away. He's in danger. But then King Herod proceeded to murder countless Jewish boys, age two and younger. The Messiah was living, and yet the Roman government continued to persecute the Jews. Suffering and despair continued. 
And then Jesus' ministry was announced. He proclaimed, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he turned everything upside down. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Those were his words. In his fulfillment of the messianic prophecies, he healed the sick. He released the demon-possessed. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead back to life. He forgave sins. And then he revealed himself to be Isaiah's prophesied suffering servant, a Messiah that no one expected. But yet it was proclaimed by the prophecies. He was the Messiah that would humble himself unto death as the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. But in Christ's suffering, death, and bodily resurrection, death was conquered. And we proclaim glory to God in the highest. Therefore, there is no more fear of death for those who have faith in Jesus. Because of Jesus' promise that all who believe in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of great joy for all the people. And that's the greatest news of all. That's why we proclaim together, glory to God in the highest. And yet, as I said, in Jesus' day, death still reigned. We see death's reign and suffering and despair in the life of John the Baptist. John was Jesus' cousin who leapt in the womb when he heard the voice of Mary, Jesus' mother. He's the one that proclaimed at Jesus' baptism, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Did John know who Jesus was? You don't sound convinced, but I am. He did. In our reading today, John declares in verse 29, the disciples, his disciples, are saying, everybody's going to Jesus. What's going on? We need to get them back. You need to do something about this. And John described a scene there. He said... You yourselves bear me witness, verse 28. I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. His joy, the same great joy that the angels declared is complete. Because the Christ had arrived. The Christ had been announced. And yet, despair and suffering continued. John the Baptist suffered. He was imprisoned. And he languished in prison. And he didn't see the overflow of the Roman government. As he continued to languish in prison, in his despair, he doubted. He wondered. Maybe I got it wrong. This, my friends, is encouragement for any of you who, whether presently in a season of despair and suffering or in a past, you either lost your faith or you have lost your faith. 
Remember John the Baptist. He was so discouraged that he doubted, and he needed others to remind him. John the Baptist did not understand Jesus was to be a suffering Messiah, so he sent his disciples. It's recorded both in Matthew and in Luke. He sent his disciples. He was in prison, sent them to Jesus, and they asked, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Imagine how Jesus might feel being faced with his cousin's doubt. Perhaps his cousin's frustration. What are you doing, Jesus? Even John the Baptist needed help from the witness and testimony of others. It was reported to John. Jesus said to the disciples, you go back and tell John what you see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. To all of that, we can only exclaim, glory to God in the highest, because that means the Messiah has arrived, and Jesus is Messiah. So while Jesus is alive, death still reigned. But after his resurrection, death is a conquered foe. At Jesus' death, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. What did the curtain separate? The people from the presence of God. There is immense significance that the curtain is torn and there's no longer separation between God and the people Because Jesus gave his life. Jesus' blood cleanses his people. Through faith in Jesus, by confession and repentance, salvation and eternal life is received. And there's no limitation to all who would believe. This is the good news of great joy. And yet, in this life, you still experience suffering and despair and sin. Much of that is connected to the fear of death. Death is a conquered foe, and yet, by our nature, we live in fear. I've heard the famous saying of Benjamin Franklin. Perhaps you've also heard it. You can finish it with me. In this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. I'm just going to say he was right about death. Death is certain for every one of you. The timing may be unknown, but you're all going to die. Of that, I'm certain. Yesterday was Bob Ashmead's memorial service. Many of you knew Bob and Lynn Ashmead. They were long-time servants of the Lord in our diocese. There was grief in his death. There was sadness by those who knew him and would miss him. His best friend of 56 years told stories and then wept as he said, I miss you. And yet, at the same time, there was joy and there was rejoicing. 
There was joy knowing that Bob was free of sin and death, that he was done with his earthly body, marked by sin. He was in his new heavenly body, cleansed, renewed, rejoicing in the presence, fully alive as he never had been before. There was rejoicing knowing Bob was living his new life, and there was rejoicing in hope that those of us with faith in Jesus will see him again. The joy of salvation and eternal life, it's a joy that you experience at your death, but it's a joy that can be chosen in this life. I want to say that again. The joy of salvation and eternal life is experienced at death, but it's a joy that can be chosen. This is the joy that the Apostle Paul encourages the early church to cling to when he says, rejoice, rejoice always. He said it more than once in more than one letter. We read this morning his final words to the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think it was. Chapter 5. In those words, he encourages them. Look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, rejoice and give thanks regardless of your circumstances. He's not just writing to first century Christians. This is God's word for you. Rejoice and give thanks regardless. And that can be done from the knowledge that this life is temporary. And by faith, we have eternal life. And that hope is real. And that's yours forever by faith in Jesus. And this is a command. I had to rehearse my Greek and my English. It's a present active imperative. Second person plural. Some of you are hearing blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what it means is this is not just a one-time command. Clean your room. This is a command, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, that's to be continued. To be continued as long as you live. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, declared, rejoice same word, as you share in Christ's sufferings. I don't know about you, I'm not likely to rejoice in suffering. It's a choice. And it's a choice we can make by our faith because of the hope that we have. Because of our eternal life, we can choose to rejoice no matter what. In Romans, Paul wrote a famous passage. It's Recorded, rejoice in your sufferings, it's actually a different word that also means to exult in or to boast. But Paul says in Romans, I think it's Romans 5, rejoice in your sufferings because suffering produces perseverance. 
Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. There's no mention of joy there, but there's a lot there. At the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, this is another verse many of you know. Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always, and then he continued, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Do you see that common nature? With our reading, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. There he said, rejoice in the Lord always, don't be anxious, but in everything, offer your requests in prayer. It's the same present active imperative. And if you do that, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, and joy of the Lord will be with you, right? No. Those that haven't memorized are are aware. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy is something that we have temporary. Choosing to rejoice because of the hope we have, that's a choice. And by making that choice, you can experience joy as you remember. To rejoice is a choice, and when you do, joy is not received, but it's remembered. And in remembering, then you receive the peace that passes all understanding. So in all circumstances, no matter what's happening, you can have his peace, even when you're undone, even when you're empty, even when you're broken, you can have his peace, knowing the good news of great joy and choosing to rejoice. And this is in everything, in all circumstances, and it's joyful because it's not up to you. That's what makes this promise and choice to rejoice real. It's not up to you. There's no failure here when you receive the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. You have it. It's not up to you to be good enough or to do it well enough. It's a gift. So there's no anxiety about the future. There's no anxiety about death because you know death is conquered. There's no anxiety because by faith in Jesus, salvation and joy is received. It's yours, period. That's good news of great joy. Rejoicing and choosing to remember who God is, that he's the God who redeemed you. What he accomplished in Jesus for you, he conquered death. Remembering who you are by faith in Jesus, you're his beloved son and daughter adopted into his family. By grace you are saved through faith. And then remembering unwavering hope about your future for eternity. Hope that will not disappoint. Hope that will not put you to shame. You rejoice because you remember there's no longer any reason to be anxious about anything. As bad as it gets here, it's temporary. Death has been defeated. Despair is temporary. And yet, when you're in despair, 
can't talk your way out. We need others. We need brothers and sisters to come to us like John's disciples and remind us. The death here, the blind see, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Glory to God in the highest. We need others. And that's why you, this isn't just about you having this joy, but it's about our role as members of the kingdom to take that joy to our brothers and sisters. To listen to the Holy Spirit as He leads you. Your choosing to rejoice is godly defiance in the face of earthly despair. Did you hear that? Your choice to rejoice is godly defiance in the face of earthly despair. We see this godly defiance in recent Jewish Hanukkah celebrations despite suffering in the Middle East and expressions of anti-Semitism. Faithful Jews practicing godly defiance as they worshipped the one true God. Despite their suffering, they chose to celebrate light. I see another example of this, godly defiance. My sister is only three years older than me, but by hereditary Connection, we have the same knees as my mom. My mom at age 80 had a full knee replacement. How many people think that was fun? You know it's not. My sister, three years older than me, is having a total knee replacement this week. Godly defiance is knowing that in the days after her surgery, she will be in pain. She will not like her physical therapists. My mom called them not PT physical therapists. She called them personal torturers. (laughs) She will not like them. But the example here is that she can know that she's going to be walking in a few weeks if she endures this suffering in a way she hasn't walked in years. She's going to have freedom she hasn't had. So take that illustration and put it on our life in Christ. When you're in despair, you can know that you have freedom, you have joy, you've received the good news of great joy, and that enables you to persevere. That enables you to endure. It doesn't matter if your despair is because of sickness or persecution, because of your own failure and mistakes, or because of someone else's failure or mistakes, or someone else's sin against you. It doesn't matter. Choosing to rejoice is godly defiance. It will remind you, and it will enable you then to encourage others who lost their faith or others who are outside the kingdom. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you don't have this hope, you don't have this joy, and you are destined for eternal death. That's the other side of this good news of great joy. It's a gift that must be received. And that's why, even when we're suffering and lost in despair, God calls us to rejoice always. I want to close with the words from Psalm 126. Turn to page 4 in your leaflet. In this psalm, with just the first four verses, 
God's people remember what God has done. And then they move to the present tense in verse 4. Let's declare these words together. I invite you to stand as we declare this. Together we will remember and then together we will declare that the Lord has done great things. Together. When the Lord overturned the captivity of Zion, then we were like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us already, whereof we rejoice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.